Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody loves a lover. I'm a lover. Everybody loves me. Anyhow, that's how I feel. Wow. Hello, dear listeners, Hi. and welcome to yet another episode of the Unforgettable Podcast, In Bed with Nick and Megan, starring world-famous sports icon, Nick Offerman. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> wow, that was your sports <laughs> voice. And me, his assistant, Megan Mullally. Terrific. And today, I mean, hold on to your hats, because... Today, our guest is, I don't know, Sharon Stone. What? How Not did a that big happen? Deal. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big deal in my kitchen right now, let me tell yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Cher Bear? I'm good. My kids are rating my dinners, one through ten. Oh, they are? Uh-oh. What's That's the tough. highest score you've gotten so far? I've gotten a couple tens, I want to say. I'm pretty proud of. Wow. Well, this my is news to me. My fried chicken and my <gasps> stroganoff got tens. Oh, my gosh. I want fried chicken right now. I want your fried chicken. That, you're, I'm very you're proud perfect. when I get a 10. Because well, prior to COVID, I wasn't a big uh, big dinner maker. We ordered out a lot, and, we, and I threw things at them. And they had sort of been in that kid phase of, pizza and, you know, burgers. And all of a sudden, when I started to cook, you know, I'm not, it's not going to be pizza and burgers. So I started really <laughs> cooking. And now they're just like, waiting, what's for dinner? And they're sous chefing and they're cleaning up. And it's, oh, nice. It's been such a nice family experience. I have to say, we've, we've really uh, gained a lot from this experience. Oh, that's great. Yeah, because I didn't, I didn't know you, you were a cook. Well, many, many years ago, I used to cook. But then when you have little kids, they don't want what you make. Yeah, right. How old are your <laughs> they kids now? Chicken fingers. Um, now they're 13, 14, and 19. And they're all about to have their birthdays. <gasps> oh, wow. Wait, so what sign are they all? They, I have a Taurus, Gemini, Cusp, and two Geminis. Oh, wow. How's wow. that? It works for us. I think if we think of it astrologically, because I'm a Pisces. Mm -hmm. So it's a very good combination. 
you know, I'm, we're all good together because we don't need, we're like sort of a house full of cats. We come and go towards <laughs> each other when we feel like it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm fascinated. I, I mean, I think that's really generous of, of three teenagers to give you uh, such high scores. Usually teenagers <laughs> are a, a little more miserly with their uh, praise. And I'm, I'm curious, uh, like at the end of the meal, do they each hold up a little placard with a number on it? Or <laughs> how does the scoring take place? No, I have to ask them for the score. <laughs> but, you know, it is the one time in the day when I really do see them and get to spend time with them because the 13 and 14 year old are like they're Irish twins and they do everything together. So they go to school, you know, they sit at the table and do school together and then they play computer games all day. So unless I'm putting food in front of them, they could care less if I am around. <laughs> it's how I'm not alone. For one thing, I have this time to be with them, which is very nice. And it's our family time. But otherwise, I'm pretty much on my own. Hmm. Do you think you're, you'll keep this up after we get out of our quarantine whenever that is? Yes, I think so. I think we've That's all really come to, come to it. Yeah, that we like it so much. Oh, I love that. Well, Nick is the chef in our house, and uh, I I'm although I did make peanut butter chocolate chip cookies that were pretty damn good. I'll say I'll second that. That was that was a ten. Thank you. But I I, did, I didn't think the conversation was going to go to this this wholesome place so quickly, but. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, this is a topic of fascination with me because I grew up in this big family, uh, all all that come from farming in the middle of Illinois in a small town called Manuka, and that was a huge part of our family. Uh, we had four kids, and every day everybody showed up at the dinner table. Dinner often consisted of a lot of things we grew in our garden. My mom and dad are both great cooks; they're very frugal, and you know. Uh, Without thinking about it, that was where I think our sense of morality and uh, neighborliness and citizenship was sort of established and reinforced was around that dinner table. And yeah, I've been exactly. very aware in the modern day because naturally when when you're given the opportunity of like, do you want to cook a big like fried chicken is very laborious. Like it, it's it's wonderful to make, but it's it takes a long time, you know, and, it, and if you can say, hey, what if somebody delivers us a bucket of fried chicken that has a, a lot of uh, incentive to it? And <laughs> before you know it, nobody's having dinner around the table anymore. And, and so right. as, as a parent, what, how do you feel about that? Well, that's how I grew up, too, in a small town in Pennsylvania called Meadville, which was by the Great Lakes. So we had all those ports which of course brings all that crime and mobs and all of that stuff, but it's also Amish country. So we had those kind of two things conflicting and, you know, we had a big, like two acres of yard on the edge of a ravine with a stream running through it. Very, oh. very country, very wholesome. Beautiful. My dad was a hunter. And so we ate most of what he either hunted or fished for. And then my dad, my mom grew a giant garden, which she then uh, canned and everything went in the basement in this beautiful, like scientific order, lovely. And then that's what we had summer and winter was from the garden. 
Brilliant. So we pretty much lived from the land when I grew up, also with four kids. And we had dinner every night together at the table. And I agree, that's where it happens. All the comedy <laughs> and all the, um, all the warmth and all the punishment and all the everything and all happens at the kitchen table. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Wait, I have a question for Nick, which is, would you, will you make me fried chicken? I will. <gasps> really? Yeah. Have you ever I'll made teach it? you. A, yeah, there's a pretty it. easy oh, way. Oh, you made it. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it was... it's a pr- there's a pretty easy way to make it, um, which is I... that you take your chicken parts and you dry them, and uh-huh. then you just put egg, egg yolks in a bowl and kind of beat them up. And then you can use, I, I use uh, this stuff called glutino, which is uh, the gluten-free dried breadcrumbs. You can right. use panko, but panko for me is a little too spicy. Okay. It's a little, it's a little dense. Um, so I like these glutino and you just toss it in the glutino and throw it in the pan. Okay. I'm, I'm going to do that. And it, you separate you, the yolks. You just have the yolks. You separate just them from the, the whites. And then yeah. you can put... Your seasoning either in the breadcrumbs or on the chicken, like your One garlic of salt or your glues. You know things that you put on. Yeah. All right. Thank you for the tip. Um. Yeah. And Nick actually did make me fried chicken last year, and it was incredible. I don't know how I could have forgotten such well, a feast. There's a, a lot of water flows under our bridge. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, how are you feeling this week? feeling good last week was a rough one last week was rough because i had already lost my godmother uh in ireland uh at the beginning of this then my adopted grandma uh went to hospital in new york and died she had complications she had covid and she had uh something else so they call that something uh like co-covid or something and she died and then the next day, uh, my sister and her husband have a home that they uh, Airbnb and they go away when they go away and live in their home in Montana. And someone robbed their home and smashed it up. And it was just a lot of, you know, and the police weren't coming because at this time, the police are busy with different things. And I don't think they want to go to a lot of this crisis to some of these things they want to go to the urgent not the things that have already happened it's it was it was difficult and then just trying to understand where this virus originated is complicated Mm -hmm. you know and so you know uh, just all of it is very complex it's very it's a lot of strange new territory for all of us you know i have a friend in new york uh and the morgue truck where they just are keeping the bodies is one of them is just sitting outside her apartment window. Oh. Wow. And I, you know, there's a lot of stress and pressure in that. Um, yeah, and I think yeah. that everybody's learning all these new things, yeah. new things about just how to cope with it. With, like today I went out for the first time, I went to get a COVID test and I hadn't been riding in a car in like seven, six, seven weeks. 
And just driving in a car, the car felt so like, oh, we're really moving now. (laughs) (laughs) Like my equilibrium wasn't um, used to driving around in a car. Like the whole thing is very Mm. bright and big when you go out again. Well, it it seems like uh, how did uh, the streets seem to you? Did they seem really deserted or medium or? They're pretty deserted. I mean, my appointment was around midday, so it would probably be when the most people were out. So I would say at some of these little mini malls where there's dry cleaners and pharmacies and this or that, there might be eight cars. But on the street mm-hmm. going to a light, there might be a car or two. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, because Nick and I have been out a couple of times to go to the store grocery store and the last the first time we went there was no one i mean there were you know a couple of you know every once in a while you'd see a car but then the last time we went out it seemed like there were a lot more people and it was it was making me nervous that people were starting to get too relaxed well you know they have they're opening the states so that they don't have to play unemployment right so that you know, it's cheaper to open the states and deal with the more people that will die than it is to pay unemployment. They're not, I mean, obviously they're not opening the states because it's over or because we have a cure or a vaccine or something has changed that's going to benefit the people that we're opening it for or that it will really, I don't, it will boost the economy only in the, I think, the effort to not have to pay all this unemployment. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, but, that's really horrible, isn't it? And then what happens when they open the states and there's another spike and then they have to pay even more unemployment? Well, yeah. there'll be another spike, but I don't know that they'll go back to quarantining exactly. I think I don't know what's going to happen, but I mean, God only knows. I mean, maybe they'll quarantine for the amount of time that not to pay. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a politician and God knows I certainly don't know how to think like one. So I don't know. It's yeah. I mean, it's becoming more and more stark. It seems to me that some people in our country and they generally uh, are people interested in the wealth of our country um, are openly pay more fealty to a pile of money than to human beings. They, they love, they express their love and devotion to money, to profit over the lives of human beings. Well, yeah, it's all politics at the expense of people's lives. It's, I, I don't know. I mean, I just, I just hope that, you know, it's apparent enough that it will drive people to the polls uh, so that, You know, 44 million people died of AIDS. And that didn't drive anybody to find a cure. Mm -hmm. So I have, um, (laughs) I don't know. I, I feel sort of sick to my stomach because, I mean, now they're, the New York Times announced today that there were, there are three separate groups that are, making, you know, trying to get uh, a vaccine for this. There's a billionaire group of Manhattan Project and Oxford and somewhere else. And that's great because I guess people feel that everybody is at risk now. 
Yeah. Well, if the politicians feel like they're next, that could only help. But you are coming at it from a rare vantage point because of your extensive activism and particularly with AIDS. So Yeah, I mean, you- it's been like uh, 25 years, at least, working on this. And, you know, these are the same doctors that mm-hmm. I'm, I've worked with. And like so many, and- yeah, and so many of them I have a real, I have a personal relationship with because I spend so much time around them and raise money and change laws and changed public opinion and changed our thoughts about the way we treat each other. And mm-hmm. just to see us get to such a better place with AIDS, just to have this happen, it's horrifying, really. I mean, yeah. the struggle with HIV AIDS was so brutal mm-hmm. and so long. And, you know, standing before people as there was nothing happening. And I remember this point when 11 million people had died. And I spoke at the UN really impassioned about how it was going to affect us globally. And we couldn't, we couldn't keep turning away with this view of our wealth and everything. And that it was going to, every time it affected people in the third world, that we, uh, we would lose business here because no, nothing was just made in one place. Mm-hmm. Parts mm-hmm. were made everywhere. And in the third world, when someone died from AIDS, the whole factory shut down so that people could go to their funeral because they were much more tribalized. And I tried to explain how this was going to happen and affect global economy, how AIDS was going to affect global economy. And no one wanted to pay attention to me. And I was like, put your sandwiches down, goddammit. This is like, you know, and I really started to be really tough about how we had to address AIDS. And the UN said I couldn't come back unless they could pre-approve my speeches. And I, I wasn't willing to do that. And then as things got more and more and more explosive with AIDS, and there was 20 million people dying from AIDS, and then 22, and then 26, and it just kept growing, it became more evident to everyone that, oh, yes, this is affecting our global economy, and it's affecting us globally. And then we started to be able to dig in. But my concern now is how many people will have to die on a global level before we have a global reality, a global reality pushing together as one to deal with this because, you know, this is moving. It it hasn't even affected, you know, our indigenous people yet. It's not yet really hit Africa and all of these people in the biggest way that it's going to. And those mm-hmm. mass death, deaths are impending. Mm-hmm. With, I mean, we think we don't have hospitals. Mm-hmm. Well, or even the ability to wash your hands. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. So my concern here is we don't even have the ability to test in the first world country. And now we're looking at a global pandemic and imagining we're going to go back out to work in a few weeks. How's that going to happen when it's going to hit 
places like Africa, and Africa's had four to five um, crop seasons of intense locusts. And so this wiped out their food, and now the locusts are coming here. We have locusts arriving here, and when we see the locusts, we're supposed to photograph them, by the way. So if you see locusts outside, which we're starting to see here in California, you'll recognize them because they're really big. They're a couple of inches tall. Hmm. Um, we're supposed to photograph them and post them so that the United Nations can tell if they're the locusts from Africa or if they're the locusts from the East so we can start to understand the migration for the food shortage that's impending. You know, I was talking to a friend the other day and she said it's starting to feel insurmountable. And I said, yeah, I think that's what's sort of beginning to dawn on many people. Well, I don't believe that anything is insurmountable. Um, maybe that's my own sort of spirit or my own nature or because of all of the hideous and horrible things I've seen and been through with AIDS or maybe it's because my dad survived esophageal cancer with a 3% chance of living three months. Wow. But we just, my family and I, we just decide that nothing is insurmountable and we figure out what we're going to do and move forward. And I think that's also maybe because like you, Nick, I grew up in a small town with a family that did not, my dad made $14,000 a year and we had four kids and we thought we were rich because mm -hmm. in my community, we kind of were, yeah. we kind of had it together because my mom had the garden and my dad was a great hunter and we had this sort of big farmhouse and you know, my mom was very um, together and knew how to cook and sew and do everything. And so we looked like we had it together, even though we were so poor. And I don't think I ever realized how poor we were until I was going to my high school dance. I think I was a senior and I walked down the steps off the front porch. And as my mom leaned out to pull the screen door closed, I saw that her shoes had holes through the toe and I could see her toe. And I realized she didn't have shoes that were okay. And that in that very moment when she closed the door, I realized that I got a dress for the school dance and she didn't get shoes. Yeah. And, you know, I think when you grow up like that, things don't seem as insurmountable because you have to climb out the window to shovel the snow away from the door to get out. Or you just keep going. Well, you, you yeah, face you, it. I mean, you, you grow up um, with a sense of, of practicality, of um, uh, of com uh, of compatibility with the your surroundings, and so instead of instead of sort of dwelling on any particular uh, bad news, you simply look around for the work that needs doing, and you get to yeah. work. Yes. And if it, you know, and and you achieve small things, and and that g provides a positivity, wh whereas inaction can lead to, you know, negativity and depression. But you say, all right, well, let's let's clean up the the house. Let's uh, let's weed the garden. 
let's see if the neighbors are okay and so forth. And, and as a community, that's how we survive things. I think so. I think we have to cre- really start to notice our neighbors um, and notice if the people on our street, especially the elderly people, if they're okay, check in on them regularly and make sure they have food mm-hmm. because, you know, there's a lot of people that can't get out to get food. I mean, my next door neighbor was already on an oxygen tank. She already has a lung condition. So, you know, we make sure that we just fold her in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been checking in on our neighbors and we've actually been gathering as many because we see a lot more neighbors now walking on the street. You know, not what we didn't see anybody before this. And so we kind of been gathering everybody's contact information. Right. Which is good to have. I think that's really smart. And um, if there's a food shortage, what then what's going to happen? Well, you know, I think then we're going to have to start dealing with that. Um, the fact that we don't have food delivery and that, that our farmers are, you know, plowing under their crops right now is really heartbreaking. Yeah. It's really heartbreaking that like so much of the food that we do have is just being rolled under right now. I mean, I guess I would suggest that everybody plant a garden, you know, stock your freezer and certainly have some sense of, I mean, we grew up, you know, my dad, I mean, once my dad was sick, my dad was a really hard worker, worked in a foundry, but he had a surgery once and we were a hamburger helper powdered milk family. Um, and I suspect that that'll be what happens again. Mm-hmm. And, and why do you think that so many, so many people um, in the States in particular that, because that's what we're m- most aware of are seem to be in complete denial about what's happening. I mean, I don't want to sound unkind, but I think that people are very selfish. And we have become um, very singular in our behavior, particularly because we've become so technologically driven and we can get everything with a push of a button and people want what they want when they want it. And um, even each other. Uh, relationships don't really last. People treat each other disposably. And I believe that um, this has been really great on that front. People are, I mean, people I know, their relationships are either ending or becoming really great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because they have to face each other for real. Yeah. Nick and I are splitting up. you guys are so lovely Uh, honestly i i can just say you're the most you're lovely people you're wonderful together and you're the kindest friends and it's so great to know both of you and to just start to get to know you nick i have to say you're a lovely couple and thanks thanks. that's so nice I see this with other friends where they're just so close and 
I see this with my children, just how wonderful it is to just be with them all the time, to have them here. It's great. Mm, you know, I my kids that. are actually doing better in school. You know, it's been especially good for one of my sons who uh, does better when he tests, when he sits uh, alone and apart and he has the, the time that he needs to do his own tests. His grades have come up a lot. I mean, mm. he's really, he's almost straight A's right now. Oh, wow. um, and that's what he's going for. And it's really simply because he's actually getting what he needs. Because you can tell somebody at school and they can do it as much as they can or feel like it on that day. But when he's here, he really is getting it. And it's, uh, it's interesting to watch his confidence grow as a result of that. That is nice. You know, I was at your house one time and you, I got to see a couple of your kids' rooms. And I love that you, you let them pick the art that they wanted in their room. Mm -hmm. They have real art in their rooms and you let them pick right. it. And then I was the room sort of then kind of, you know, decorated, quote unquote, around the art that they, or around their sensibility no, they chose everything. Everything. They chose wow. their wallpaper. They chose the moldings. They chose their light <gasps> fixtures. Oh they chose gosh. everything. Now, we did it together, and they told me kind of what they were into and what they wanted. And um, they have distinctly different personalities. Mm -hmm. My one son's room looks a little like He's like in Washington, D.C. at the Hay Adams. You know, he has the desk <laughs> as you come in and the American flag and the wallpaper that looks like it was from the Hay Adams. And my other son's uh, room is like he's some kind of, an, he's a nature person. He wanted the antler <laughs> chandelier and the wind wallpaper and the furry rug. And, you know, so you never, so you know. interesting. Yeah, the fish wallpaper in his bathroom. So, you know, he's very nature, nature guy. I love that. Yeah. So it just, it depends on, uh, on the kid, you know, no, I, I, I kind of just, it was an opportunity to see their creativity and then different art was from different places. Some of it, I don't know if you know about Saatchi and Saatchi, they are mm. uh, an art house in uh, New York. And they oh, yeah. champion new and young artists. Uh, and they, so you can go on their website and buy real art at, I think, rather reasonable prices uh, from new artists. So I let them choose some art from there so they mm. could start their own art collections. Wow, nice. that's so great. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.
before we get too far away from it, <clears throat> I just want to clarify something that I said, which is that when I said, why are so many people in denial, there's a difference, I, I guess, and I just want to make it clear that I, I'm talking about people who seem to be angrily denying that anything's really happening. And I'm not talking about people who are trying to pay their rent and want to go back to work so that they can make some money. No, but oh, I mean, no, we, no, no, no. I, I understood that. Yeah. No, what I'm yeah. talking about are people that are like in the street screaming, give me freedom or give me death. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, surprise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> And be careful what well, you wish for. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> right. Well, in this case, it's, it's not or, it's and. And, and you, yeah. said, you said earlier that it's hard to determine where the, how the virus, where and how the virus even, or how the virus even originated. And what are your thoughts on that? Well, as you can imagine, I've read almost everything that I can get my hands on and everybody sends me everything and I listen to everything and I talk to people at the UN about it and I, because they have more information. So what I get, I bounce off of them. I saw a YouTube from a French immunologist and he had said that he had an idea about it, uh, that's now being um, checked out, but we don't know yet, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't want to scare anybody by giving theories uh, on the radio, but I do think there's a lot of theories and the theories are being investigated, but there are theories about whether it's a natural virus or a man-made virus Mm -hmm. and the problems created by what it is. And of course, this was the same theories about the HIV virus mm-hmm. that were never really fully resolved, whether it was man-made or whether it was a natural virus. And that's why, you know, no one really ever understood because it was mutating and it was changing. And I think that um, we're not really sure yet. We don't have enough facts to know. Is COVID mutating? Is it changing? Does it, why does it affect some people so drastically and some people not at all? Is it because it's mutating or is it because some people have different immunology? I mean, they've said what they understand so far is if you've had chicken pox or shingles or in the mouth cold sores, that for somehow that gives you some more immunity. Like you might get it, but you might not get it as severely. And that if you are a tree, uh, you have a pre-existing condition of diabetes or heart condition or obesity that you have a greater chance of not surviving it. Mm-hmm. So they've made some determinations of what they're starting to understand. And I believe this I read from the New York Times, but they don't uh, have a full understanding of it. You know, be, yeah. And it's just, it's it seems so incredibly insidious because the the symptoms that people get are so wildly different from one person to the next and this week when it came out that younger young people and middle-aged people are having strokes and you know often fatal and 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 that then i i heard that and then i heard that not only is it 
coronavirus, but it's the first symptom you get is you have a stroke. It's not like you have coronavirus and then you don't, it's not like you have a cough and a fever and then you have a stroke. No, (laughs) you just have a stroke and that's your tip off that you have coronavirus. I mean, wow. You know, well, I, I read that too. And the stroke, funnily enough, because the stroke foundation just reached out to us, I think today or yesterday about doing a public service announcement. And I, we have to have some more information because there's stress. We don't know how stress is factoring into all of this. Mm-hmm. And the stress right now is so big. It's so enormous and it's insidious because it's mounting very slowly because we're all at home. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I don't know. We've all have been having nightmares, right? Or very vivid, intense dreams. Mm-hmm. And I feel like um, all that is where a lot of our stress is playing out. And that just demonstrates the amount of suppressed stress that we're carrying through the day. Yeah. And I think that it's really important to release the stress. Mm-hmm. And as I, I, I made a, like a little thing towards my grandmother and said, we should all go outside and scream. And what I've been doing lately is actually walking out on my balcony and screaming at the top of my lungs. Are the neighbors calling the police? They don't react at all. Oh, which wow. I found which I found <laughs> They're like that's just Sharon. <laughs> I felt like, oh, they probably feel the same way. But I scream like a murder victim. Like I stand on my terrace and just scream. And then I come inside and sometimes I punch a pillow a little bit and then Mm -hmm. I feel a lot better Mm -hmm. because I I feel like we, we really, we're, we're not able to go out to the gym. We're not able to go out and do our stuff. And that incredibly slow suppressed stress really can cause a stroke. It really Mm -hmm. can. Mm-hmm. And especially because all of the responsibilities that we shared in life with everybody by, by the very fact that it does take a village is now singularly upon us within our homes. And it's a lot of stuff that we're not really good at or know mm-hmm. how to do. Like, who knows how to teach your kids school? Who knows mm-hmm. how to, you know, really clean your bathroom when you've been a working person and you've hired someone else to do these things, you know, you're not really great at it. You know, Mm-mm, you're right. cooking dinner every day. Sometimes it turns out and sometimes it's like, wow, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's weird. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I mean, aside from, you know, a lot of people live in places where they probably couldn't go scream really loud outside, but I mean, you could shut yourself in a closet and do it or something like that also. I think and, that's wise. You know, and... Get in the shower and scream. Mm-hmm. Get in the shower and cry. It's really and, important to not suppress it. Yeah, and if you are in a place where you can't go outside and go for a walk or go for a hike, there are a ton of... Um, workout apps 
on your phone. You can just, you can set up a, you can really join a class for pretty much anything in your home. Mm -hmm. Pilates, Mm -hmm. yoga, uh, I mean, any kind of cardio thing. All of those things meditation. are Meditation. You can get great. meditations online, which are really yeah. great. Yeah, I like um, that. I know uh. I sent you the the blue uh, Terra uh, chant. Yeah. Or the green, green Terra green chant. Terra. Yeah, it's so The green Terra it's chant, incredible. which is, it's so beautiful. And I when I do that, I feel so much better. I do I too, and just, I don't. I, I don't normally, I, I really hadn't chanted for a long time, you know, I can't remember the last time. I mean, I had a couple of times back in the day, but it has a real effect and it's, it's the Green Terra chant by Kiva and it's on YouTube and you guys can look it up. Really My good. feeling about these things is that they're usually made to, um, as it was explained to me, that they're made so that the tones of them hits different neurological places in the brain that releases certain endorphins to create a mental state. And that's Mm -hmm. what the chanting is meant to do. Mm -hmm. So even like when I go, because I'm a Buddhist, I'll go and listen to um, these different um, Buddhists come and talk, these different monks, and they start chanting. And it's like, you have no idea what the chanting is when it starts. But if you start trying to just recreate the tones, you eventually fall into the tonal uh, zone of the mm-hmm. chanting. And even just doing the tones, if you don't even know exactly the chants, it becomes incredibly peaceful and relaxing. Mm-hmm. And I feel for me like now, anyway. Yeah, and I feel like now with YouTube, uh, you can you can YouTube chant chants various chants and sometimes they will spell out they'll write out what the actual words are that are being chanted which is Mm -hmm. convenient um yeah so all of those things are good and then oh i wanted to go back to clarify the thing about the strokes which is true that all the stress that we're under is so uh insidious right now and it's creeping up on all of us in ways that we you know this last week my my entire back and neck completely seized up like i just couldn't even move and i had to call I mean, I tried a lot, you know, I was stretching, I was trying to get rid of it on my own, but eventually I just had to call my doctor and he prescribed a kind of a turbo charged, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, ibuprofen and then a muscle relaxant. So I'm, I'm about four days into that. I don't know, you know, I'm going to be really sorry to see those go, but you know, cause they only give you like <laughs> 10 days worth. <laughs> you know, there's a thing called a Feldenkrais roller. Um, and you can probably get it on Amazon. It's about uh, about a yard long, and it's about maybe eight inches uh, in diameter. It's a round, it's a tube. It's like a foam tube. Oh, yeah, those and, are great. And that might be really great for you. And you lay on it lengthwise, and it, it straightens your back out really good, and then you do some leg lifts and some knee lifts and you do your you kind of move your arms in circles yeah and then flat on the floor and then you take it it and you turn feldenkrais i think Mm. it's c-r-e-i-s i don't remember exactly how you spell it feldenkrais and then then you turn it widthwise and you 
put it down by your hips and then you send it walk your feet and you roll it up and down your back and it'll put your back back in. Ooh. Okay. And it's great. Get, and you I'm can put it under your neck and it'll, it'll let your head, because it's so much time on the computer, we get knocked out or reading and it like pulls your back back up. I also saw on something I was reading, you can take a hand towel, fold it small, put duct tape around it, put it on your doorknob. And then you take those, you know, those stretchy wide, they're like, five inch wide rubber things and they're long and you stretch exercise with them. They're about mm -hmm. a yard long. Mm -hmm. You take one of those and you put it through the towel that's hanging on your door. You tie it and then you put it around your head from the back of your head to your forehead mm -hmm. and you lay on the floor and then you can sort of walk your feet out. <gasps> and then that gives you traction to pull your head mm back out from your shoulders and neck and it will release that computer neck and that messed up neck and shoulder thing and oh, apparently it's a very good, good thing to do now when you can't get to your doctor and you can't get an adjustment and you can't get a massage and you can't get your your neck put back in during this time when your neck and low back keeps getting whacked out and so oh. it's just like a a hand towel or a dish towel folded thin wrapped in duct tape over the doorknob with the wide thing tied through it and around the back of your head to your forehead. And then you just walk your feet forward. Oh, I love that. I just wrote both nice. of those down. Um, yeah. And it's funny already, like the things, if you go to order things online, it's crazy. Like the things that already are completely wiped out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, more and more and more. I've had, yeah. I've even had things happen where I um, put something in my cart and I come back a, a couple hours and later. And it's gone. Gone. No yeah. longer in stock. Clorox is probably the most wealthy company in the world right now. Oh, God. So sad. It's just so scary and sad that that was sad. And then, you know, now people are seriously ill from ingesting it's making us bleach. go back to a simpler time and making mm -hmm. us go back to a more sincere self these are the things that i appreciate about it you know we're being forced to reevaluate ourselves and ourselves with others and what we want to give from ourselves and what we'll accept from others yeah and i think that that's healthy hmm. and i think it's there are a lot of healthy aspects from this the healthiness of the environment being able to see the clear air being able to see the clear water um you know it's beautiful all the the progress and that it's doing this is doing giving to nature hmm. that we're stopping beating the crap out of nature is really great do you notice a difference in the air quality in los angeles it's better it's not totally healed but it seems quite a bit better mm -hmm. yeah um but i still see you know the smog over century city and we i mean we still have a ways to go yeah 
because we live in a spot where we can really see a lot of you know we can see into the distance and it's still like today it's pretty darn hazy hazy looking it's still hazy today yeah i saw that too i mean we've had so much rain and everything which is great but it i think it's it gave everybody a little bit of a false sense of you know, like, oh, my God, the air is completely cleared up overnight. But I think it'll take a little bit more. And I, you know, it's also slightly depressing because, I mean, I hope that after this is all over that people will be like, oh, yes, we will give up our billion-dollar, you know, profits every year to just have the air be nicer. But I just, it's not probably not going to happen. <laughs> probably, you know? probably not, Meg. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so many businesses are starting to realize not only that they can work from home, <clears throat> but the amount of money they're saving working from home, mm-hmm. that I think that many businesses will change their setup. Yeah, that's kind of what I was just going to ask you is how do you see going forward? Um, yes, those businesses probably will. But in terms of, of uh, our business, which is, you know, for the most part, uh, making movies and television shows i i'm i I haven't figured out how that's gonna work until there's a vaccine anyway and even then well i think we have to write animation Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) hope everybody likes animation (laughs) you can sing thank god (laughs) i wish i could sing Uh, I mean, I think we're going to have to become more inventive and figure out other things. Mm-hmm. Well, they're talking about uh, the thing that we've heard is they're talking about boot camp where they think they're going to shoot everything. Uh, they're going to get a cast together and a crew and they're going to find a location, probably in Los Angeles. Um, and they're going to sequester everyone in a hotel, some hotel somewhere. And nobody is allowed to leave to go home to see their families until it's all done. Now, first of all, you can't really do any of that unless everyone can be tested. But who are these people that they think they're going to get who are going to work on a movie for four months without ever going home to see their families? I mean, I just don't understand Well, and what about the hotel staff? I, I know. I mean, it just doesn't. They're going just, home. There's so many holes in it, yeah. right? Exactly. And, yeah. and the people it's, on a on a crew. I mean, I mean, a certain percentage you could get away with uh, keeping sort of quarantined, but a film, a production crew of any sort, still has to engage with the outer world. Uh, well, for, and I think we've been on enough films to really understand the kind of engagement we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there's probably. That's a very unsafe plan. Yeah, yeah I agree. And uh, you would have to test people. If, if you're not going to uh, quarantine everybody like that, you would have to test everyone first thing in the morning, every single person, and then again at the end of the day. And, I mean, there, you can't even get a test right now, barely. You know? Right, right. Mm. Yeah, I think mm. people, there's a real desire for everything to happen. It's just the logic of this right now is also the very fact that we're not united as states is making it difficult because 
we need a same same protocol because otherwise people are just going to keep moving state to state and it's just going to keep moving around. Well, yeah, that's the thing about relaxing these stay-at-homes is it's just opening up a can of worms that then it's going to take even longer. I mean, I wish everybody, I wish there was a national... Le- leader? <laughs> national leader? I w- yes, I wish there was a consistent like a, like national a uh, policy where everyone was on a stay-at-home for X amount of time, and that would have been a lot more helpful, I think. Well, I think at this point, we're way beyond all that. And, yeah. you know, even in places like in Italy where they did have a standard, right, where they did everything. We have to figure out why their death rate was so much higher than like the countries. Like if we look, which is very strange, the countries that are all female led have had the least deaths of every other country. And I don't know why. I don't know why. New Zealand and Germany and. Yeah, and Norway and all these countries have the least deaths. And why? What did they do? Why is that different? Why are these countries having different ratio of illness and death? Why are they having so much less death? We need to glean some intelligence. Do you think there's some some relationship between a female leader and a, a better outcome? Or a better well, de- you know, I think less- if it was one, but it's like five or six. Mm-hmm. And so there has to be some protocol, some information, some intelligence that we can glean, not just because they're women, but because there are countries that have had such a better um, response. I think we have to glean some intelligence. Why? How are you doing it so that it's better? Why are, how's that working? Mm-hmm. I don't think we're doing enough um, global partnership to understand what's going on. I feel like, you know, they can only take samples from people who have it. My assistant got a COVID test. She didn't get a result for 23 days. In the meantime, she went to another place and got a result in 24 hours because she'd been running a fever for four days. And and she was negative. But the (laughs) first test, at at a certain point, I mean, after she didn't get a result in a week, I was like, you you have to go somewhere else and get a test. You know, this is really crazy. Mm -hmm. And... The fact that you could go one place and get a result in 24 hours and another place took 23 days. It's just, yeah, and they're saying that there have been a lot of false positives and false negatives. Because I don't think we know enough. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we can only learn enough by having the positive tests. But this is the very same thing that happened with AIDS. Everybody was so separate and everybody was competitive about finding the cure or the vaccine. And so there wasn't enough shared information. And this lack of shared information, shared research, shared everything is really foolish. And that's why, though I worked for AMFAR, I also went out and worked for so many other AIDS um, organizations because I didn't believe in this idea of 
isolation and lack of um, comparative analytics. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you you're coming at this from a different place than we are because you are way more connected <laughs> than we are. We you know you know people who you know people who are experts in their fields on this and, and we know you. <laughs> so we're getting all of our information from you basically. Well I can't say that my information is definitive or correct. All I can say is that I'm reading everything I can get my hands on and I'm talking to people and I know that the UN is working really hard to run down all these leads that people think it's one thing. They do send uh, test groups to track it down and see, is that in fact what it is? They are mm -hmm. really on it. Um, I don't fully comprehend defunding world health or backing away from UN or changing the leaders of these organizations that are working towards results. I think when we're in it and we're in it so deep, unless these people are really failing in some way or corrupt in some way, we want to keep them invested. Um, so I'm not really sure why that's happening. I don't, I don't have any information or understanding why that's happening. Mm -hmm. um, well, I just, you know, your activism is so, I mean, thank you for that, Sharon, because I know that there are a lot of great activists in the world. I don't know many of them. I know you. And it's so incredible that you do what you do and it's so um wonderful and i don't feel like i'm doing anything right now and i i like everybody feel so helpless about this and well, so wish i had something more to offer or well, more I'm to talking, do and i'm also talking about what you've done in terms of aids too which well thank god we're at least at this point with that yeah. thank god oh yeah you know, I just, uh, I don't know what my problem is. I, I, I either am lazy or I don't have the courage of my convictions or I'm scared or for whatever reason, I don't ever really do much of anything. And, you know, I'm not proud of it, but there it is. But I know that Nick, um, Nick thinks you're quite heroic also. That's true. Well, the last time we saw you, I, I believe I compared, I said, she's, there's only one of her. She's of all, of all. <laughs> thank God. <laughs> and I said, because she hugged you once in a leopard print bikini and her body with her body toasty warm from the sun. And he oh, said, no, I, I, I'm, not just that. I'm grateful I survived that. <laughs> I thought he was going to pass out. Do you remember that? We were in Mexico and we ran into you. It was a yeah. tough You hug. were out by the pool and we were checking out and you came racing in in this, you know, pretty staggering leopard print bikini and you gave me a hug and I, that's how I knew that your skin was warm. And then you gave Nick a hug and I thought he was going to lose consciousness. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> can't do that. Can't well, do that it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I'm so glad that that happened because I'm old and it's never going to happen again. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen you in a bathing suit a couple of times in the last year, and it's looking pretty good. Um, but wait, what? So then, what did you say, honey? Oh, I, I said that you 
you seem like a, a member of the super friends uh but like that's that's the mix is you you could easily be cast as any as a superhero while at the same time you ex- you have the fortitude and soul of a Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh my God! Isn't that cool? Nothing, nothing could make me feel better. You know, her quotes are so beautiful, and she, you know, she really did it right. She did everything right. She mm. married the right guy. She did the right things. She. She did everything right. She's, she's it to me. She is, she's everything. She's everything right. She understood her own personal emancipation. Mm. He, he said that last night when we came back from, uh, we had a, we had a, a curbside visit with Sharon about a week ago um, that was, which was unbelievable when my when my grandma died and you guys showed up at the end of my driveway and we all stood outside in our masks and or you stayed in your car but i stood in my mask and you had your kind of monkey <laughs> face little mask on there nick and uh it was so deeply moving to me that you well, understood that i needed a com- compassion in my grief it just that's who you are, though. Well, it's you just know, so touching to me. I just, I really, I spent a lot of, and you're not alone. You've got your kids there with you, but I, I spent a lot of time. Uh, well, not. I mean, yeah. I mean, I spent a lot of time without someone in my life when I was younger and before Nick, and um, I can remember that feeling of just wishing that someone was there, someone that I could really talk to. And, yeah, lean on. Yeah. And so yeah. I always want to try to be there. And you've been such a good friend. And Thank know, you. really nice. But um, well, you guys are wonderful. And yeah. Well, We're let learning. me do a little wrap up. What, honey? We're learning. We're learning. Let me do a little okay. wrap up here for the the children, which is thank you yet again for tuning in to another scintillating and this time quite informative and thought-provoking episode of In Bed with Nick and Megan. And thank you so much, Sharon. Sharon Stone. Good night, everybody. Thank you, Sharon. Good night, love bugs. Bed with Nick and Megan is an Earwolf production. It's produced by Megan Mullally, Kevin Bartelt, and Michael Landry. Executive produced by Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon. Music by Nancy and Beth, which can be found at www.nancyandbeth.com. If you enjoyed In Bed with Nick and Megan, make sure to rate it and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> 
Auto Trader. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.